You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. The shockwaves are still resonating from yesterday's bombshell report into outrageous spending by two top officials in the B.C. legislature. The former clerk and sergeant-at-arms are still under suspicion and Global's Richard Zussman has an exclusive interview with one of the whistleblowers mentioned in the report. Locked to a chain-link fence rusting sits this log splitter. It has become the focal point of a massive public spending scandal plaguing the B.C. legislature. The piece of machinery, along with this trailer, costing taxpayers $13,000. And were delivered to Clerk Craig James's house, allegedly for personal use, before ending up here. It is part of a larger picture being painted of excessive misuse of funds by both James and the Sergeant-at-Arms, Gary Lenz. These actions were allowed to go on for an extended period of time with documented efforts to conceal what was happening. The pair are now on leave with pay and deny all wrongdoing. They are also both still under police investigation. So in the grand scheme of things, this might be just a hand grenade and the bomb uh, may yet to come. Alan Mullen spoke on behalf of the speaker today. He says the report alleges the use of taxpayer money, including non-work-related magazine subscriptions, expensive luggage, suits, trips, and headphones. The question everyone is asking is how could they have gotten away with it? If anybody at any level puts in expenses they have to be signed off on uh, by another party, what we found in a lot of these expenses was uh, Mr. James would sign off on Mr. Lenz's and vice versa. And speaking exclusively to Global News, one of the whistleblowers in the report, Connor Gibson, known as AB in the report, says the issue goes beyond just James and Clark. The longtime Liberal was working for former Speaker Linda Reid. He says she asked him to file what he says were inappropriate expenses. And I brought forward those concerns to her and was told to just process them anyways. And that was around claiming mileage and a taxi on the same day. When he went to his bosses at the Liberal caucus, he says he wasn't listened to and eventually not kept on to work with them. My concerns are, are not necessarily about the termination. My concerns were, again, about doing the right thing and bringing forward these allegations. Gibson telling us the same details laid out in the Speaker's report, which Plekis calls disturbing. When asked why he's speaking out, the whistleblower said this. At the end of the day, I would say I would like Linda Reed to resign. And Linda Reed is very important in all of this because, as you know, the report in this investigation comes out of Speaker Daryl Plekis' office. But Reed, she served in that job as Speaker from 2013 to 2017. She was unavailable for comment today. The Liberals say uh, the picture isn't exactly as Gibson draws it, but there are still a lot of questions about who else is involved in this and how long has misuse of funds been going on at the legislature. Alan Mullen telling me today that he believes it dates back potentially to 2012, so that could include other speakers that were in charge here at the legislature. Kearley, Sophie, Chris, this is one of those things that is still unraveling here. No doubt about it. Thanks very much, Richard. And there is little doubt the report is going to bring about some big changes at the legislature. We'll bring in our Bureau Chief Keith Baldry right now to talk more about mm -hmm. that. Keith, none of the allegations have been proven yet, but what can we expect in terms of better oversight going forward? 
Well, a number of things are about to unfold, guys, including, uh, as I mentioned last night, uh, the next steps to be taken here are numerous. First of all, there's going to be external audits of uh, the three legislative offices, the Speaker's office, the Chief Clerk's office, and the Sergeant-at-Arms. And that's going to be done by someone outside the province. It's not going to be done by anyone in the B.C. Auditor General's office. Also, there's going to be an internal workplace review at the legislature because 17 people uh, were named in that report as having been terminated, their employment terminated because the, the Speaker says they stood up to either the clerk or the sergeant in arms. So the workplace review will begin soon. And obviously, finally, that ongoing RCMP investigation overseen by two special prosecutors. Who knows how long that's going to go on for. The two officers remain suspended, but Andrew Weaver telling us today uh, that uh, the Green Party has lost trust and faith in them, and he doesn't see how they can return to work. This is not about somebody, you know, taking a pen in their pocket from work and going home and realize, oops, I have a legislative pen. This is about a systemic culture of abuse, and it need, we need to get to the bottom of this. What's remarkable about the recommendation of our committee, of the Lamsey Committee, is that they have asked for an outside auditor to do that, that forensic audit. That should be an eye-opener for everybody. Now, one final date, February 1st, that's the deadline the Legislative Management Committee has given Mr. Lenz and Mr. James for a response to this very explosive report. As we mentioned yesterday, the two officers responding with a statement yesterday that they weren't even given the, the ability to look at the report before it was made public. We don't know whether they're going to respond to this offer from the committee of a February 1st deadline for that response. We'll see. Yeah, we will. Okay. Thank you, Keith. The provincial and federal governments are both pledging to fight money laundering in B.C., a crime linked to the fentanyl crisis and skyrocketing real estate prices. But as Sarah McDonald reports, critics say today's high-level meeting between B.C.'s Attorney General and the Federal Minister of Organized Crime Reduction isn't enough. It's taken years to get here. Two levels of government finally pledging to work together in cracking down on a rampant and insidious form of criminal activity plaguing this province. We're absolutely committed to working collaboratively together and, and to, to, to do what is necessary with respect to the issue of money laundering and organized crime. The joint announcement from the Federal Minister of Organized Crime Reduction, Bill Blair, and B.C.'s Attorney General David Eby, coming days after a drastic increase in the estimation of just how much dirty money has been laundered in B.C. Roughly $1 billion annually through casinos, luxury houses and vehicles and horse racing. A figure apparently long on the federal radar but not shared with the province. We share a lot of uh, responsibility here, but we really need the feds uh, to be along for the ride. That means opening the lines of communication and better sharing information, something both politicians say has already improved. The RCMP apparently reaching out to provincial investigators in the past 24 hours as pressure mounts on the province to launch a public inquiry, something EB says could jeopardize ongoing criminal investigations. We would like the prosecutors to be able to complete their work, uh, certainly uh, in the absence of public airing of evidence that could compromise their ability to ultimately prosecute a case. But legal experts who've been in a similar situation in scope and scale before argue that reasoning doesn't hold water. We make sure that we respect the fundamental rights of the potential accused. The lawyer tasked with uncovering corruption in Quebec's public construction contracts with the Charbonneau Commission says inquiries can be conducted effectively in tandem with criminal cases and says time is of the essence in calling one. If I do the commission inquiry in five years, three years, four years, it's going to be a lot more difficult to get 
the, the good witnesses, the good proofs. But Eby, who isn't ruling out an inquiry, says the province is already effective moving forward without one. We need to move really quickly because the activity is taking place. And now optimistic the flow of information from the feds will help stem a steady stream of dirty cash. Sarah McDonald, Global News. Well, today's federal provincial focus on money laundering in B.C. has a Vancouver councillor renewing her call for action at the municipal level. Tanya Beja is live at Vancouver City Hall with more on that story. And Tanya, councillor Melissa DiGenova says a lot of cash has been changing hands in that building behind you. That's right, Sophie. Uh, Melissa DiGenova says she says a lot of people... She sees a lot of people coming in here with cash, bags of cash sometimes to pay for things like the empty homes tax, business license fees or other fees. And she says she wants to make sure that if the city is going to accept that money, that it's actually coming from legitimate sources and that people aren't using these city payments as a way to launder money. So uh, DiGenova is raising a motion asking city staff to review the city's powers and see if there's uh, anything they can do to improve the financial reporting mechanisms here. Here's more now from Melissa DiGenova. Well, if we're taking in cash payments and there's no way to be accountable as to where that money's coming from and there's no paper trail or even uh, the, which individual that money's tied to, I'm quite concerned about that and I'd like to see a change here at the City of Vancouver. She has raised similar motions in the past uh, without much success, but is hopeful that the new council will get on board. Sophie and Chris, back to you. All right, thanks for that, Tanya. Well, as if to underscore the impact on real estate of money laundering, another dubious honor for the Vancouver housing market. A new report says it's the second least affordable in the world. The 15th annual Demographia International Housing Affordability Survey has moved Vancouver up one spot to second place, bumping Sydney, Australia down to third. Vancouver is second only now to Hong Kong in unaffordability and much less affordable than cities like Los Angeles and New York. The report says, despite a bit of a correction, Vancouver's affordability continues to deteriorate. A close call for students of a private school in the Fraser Valley. Their school bus slid off Stave Lake Road in Mission this afternoon. And there were 14 students and a driver on board at the time. A number of paramedics teams were called out. Four students with minor injuries were taken to hospital as a precaution. But there were no serious injuries. No word on what caused the crash. Closing arguments continued today in the tragic case of a Surrey mother accused of killing her 8-year-old daughter. Defense lawyers arguing that Lisa Batstone didn't perceive the reality that she was ending her daughter Tegan's life. Nadia Stewart was in court today. Lisa Batstone waved to church members and friends as she entered the courtroom Tuesday morning. They were there as Batstone's lawyers argued manslaughter, not second-degree murder, would be a more fitting conviction. Batstone was charged with second-degree murder in connection with the December 2014 death of her eight-year-old daughter, Tegan. It's alleged Batstone used a plastic bag to smother the child before placing Tegan's body in the rear of a hatchback vehicle. When the vehicle somehow ended up in a ditch, Batstone knocked on a stranger's door asking for police to be called. She was arrested at the scene. While Batstone was found fit to stand trial, defense says there is evidence bringing into question her mental functioning. Did Batstone understand what she was doing was morally wrong? Forensic psychologists have testified her behavior exhibits traits of depression, anxiety and borderline personality disorder. 
A falling out with members of the White Rock Baptist Church at the time also created a stressor, one amplified in Batstone's mind, defense said. However, Crown Counsel argued Batstone intended to kill her daughter, that she did it clearly by going to get a plastic bag to smother her, and she did it for a reason, in her words, so that the little girl could be with Jesus. At times, while Crown spoke, Batstone hung her head low and rocked gently from side to side. Crown continues closing arguments on Wednesday. Nadia Stork, Global News. Right now, though, the federal government is providing millions to help tackle the problem of gang violence in Surrey. Ottawa is committing $7.5 million for a number of separate programs targeting at-risk youth with alternatives to joining gangs. It aims to help young people create a positive relationship with their community. It'll help 4,500 young people and their families. Surrey has seen a surge of gang violence in recent years. People of Surrey and the surrounding region are, are, are all too familiar with the devastating effects of that violence. In 2017, half the city's uh, 12 homicides were connected to gangs. Lives were, are being lost and families are hurting. Government funding is important, but what makes it effective are people. People who are committed and dedicated, who know the situation on the ground. The money will be spread over 10 grassroots organizations. Surrey Mayor Doug McCallum says the funds will be available in the coming days. A new Westminster father and son are making history for all the wrong reasons, though. The man and his three-year-old are being forced out of their home for being too noisy. It's an incredibly rare outcome from a noise complaint, and the dad says in this case it's unfair. Now he and his son have just 10 days to get out. Catherine Urquhart has the story. Three-year-old Marcus is an active little boy, and like most toddlers, he can be a bit loud. Now, after a third child noise disturbance notice, they're being evicted from Shoreline, a building branded family-friendly. They've been given just 10 days to leave. Now with only 10 days, um, you know, we have no idea what we're gonna do. Um, I, like, I'm really not sure. The order came after months of back and forth with the building's property management company, which had received complaints from the tenant below. And the BC Residential Tenancy Board has sided with the landlord. Many neighbours are stunned. I haven't heard anything like this at all in the building, so it's kind of shocking. They seem like a lovely family and I've never seen them misbehave. He's incredibly polite for a little kid. So there must be something else going on. The Ministry of Municipal Affairs and Housing oversees the Residential Tenancy Board. They responded by email saying, Under the tenancy agreement, tenants have a right to peace, privacy and quiet enjoyment in their homes, which extends to all tenants. Tenants must make sure they, their guests and their pets don't unreasonably disturb other occupants. So I feel there is an injustice and that um, the arbitrator admitted on the call that they did not read the evidence. And a lot of the claims that were being thrown out by the management were simply not true. This single dad is now considering whether to seek a judicial review of his case in B.C. Supreme Court, something that would, at the very least, delay his eviction. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. 
Well, you'll feel like yelling if you have some long-distance driving to do. There's a new snowfall warning for parts of southwestern B.C. We'll bring in meteorologist Christy Gordon with some of the details right now. Christy. Thanks, Chris. Yes, yeah, so travel's not recommended right through the morning hours tomorrow. Here's why. Heavy snowfall will spread all across southern B.C. this evening and overnight and won't ease off until the morning hours tomorrow. We're expecting up to 25 centimeters across the Sea to Sky Highway up towards Whistler, Coquihalla Connector, and Highway 3, Hope Prince in up to 20, Chilcotin and Boundary Regions 20, and the uh, Fraser Canyon area 10. Now, we are, uh, the snow is already starting to fall in the Coquihalla area as well as Whistler, and it's only going to get worse overnight, but it's not only that. We're also going to see snowfall at lower elevations. When I come back, we'll show you which towns and cities could see up to 15 centimeters. All right. Thanks. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Christy. New made in BC technology could change the way we look at concussions, especially in athletes. The inventors of the brain cap are using new software to pinpoint brain injuries in hockey players throughout the season. And as Linda Aylesworth reports, their research has turned up some surprising conclusions. We know that concussions are bad. And that getting another one before you've healed is worse yet. The problem, knowing when it's safe to get back into the game. And you say, okay, well, how long is it going to take me to get better? And again, it's like, oh, we don't really know because we don't have the tools to measure the brain or, or brain function. And so SFU biomedical engineer Sean Fickling and neuroscientist Dr. Ryan Darcy decided to create such a tool. What we've really tried to do is come up with the world's first objective measuring stick of brain function. They created a way to read the brain's vital signs using a cap hooked up with electrodes to read brain waves and a software program to interpret it all. And we look at how you process sensory information, how you process attention, and, and how you process your cognitive, uh, so your thinking aspects. They partnered with the famed Mayo Clinic in Minnesota, which was studying concussions in junior A ice hockey players, and developed an easy way to read their findings. This is how it looks like when people are healthy. This is what it looks like when players had concussion. And this is what it looks like when players were returned to play but went back too soon. You can tell it's too soon because it should look like it did preseason, a blue hexagon. Here's the shocking bit. All 12 of the study participants who sustained concussions were given the all clear before they were actually ready. The current tests uh, seem to suggest you're good, but ours are showing that you still have uh, some, some deficits in attention. The program has potential uses for myriad brain conditions, including dementia. And so I think this will have huge impacts across the spectrum of brain conditions and illnesses. It, which is yet to be given a name, could be on the market and available for use as a tool to know when a concussed person is healed later this year. So my ultimate goal for this is really to solve concussions. I, you know, I really hope that one day we'll be able to treat concussions in the same way that we can treat you know, a broken arm. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. An Okanagan woman says she has been traumatized by how she was treated on a flight from Mexico to Kelowna after she came to the aid of a fellow passenger. As Global Okanagan's Kelly Hayes reports, she wants an apology and a warning. Some of the details of this story could be a little unsettling. Susan Hiltz is back at work as a dental assistant, back from a trip from Mexico where everything was fine, that is, until she landed in Kelowna, where she suddenly had to provide medical assistance to a passenger who became violently ill. She was unconscious. 
Um, her skin was really pasty. She had no movement. I immediately turned and started yelling at the flight attendants. We have a passenger in need of medical assistance. She says things escalated when the woman in medical distress began vomiting. All of my stuff was covered in vomit, feces. After medical staff showed up, it was time for Hiltz, covered in the sick lady's bodily fluids, to get off the plane. I held up my hands and um, was trying to state that I needed to clean. They told me go to go directly to Customs. Despite being covered in fluids, Hiltz says Customs showed zero empathy. He held up a garbage can for me to discard some items. Hilt says she expected more professionalism from the Kelowna Airport and from Canada Customs when she got off the plane. The Kelowna Airport says it can't speak for Canada Customs, but it says it did everything by the book. Airport Director Sam Samadar says airport staff followed protocol and the passenger who had fallen ill was the priority. Well, I, when I, I have to look at it in terms of uh, our crews and our, our people responding to the specific incident. And uh, there's nothing to indicate to us that we did something that was not correct. Hilt says she contacted the airport and they've yet to return her call. She also called Air Transat and she says she was given the runaround. Air Transat tells Global News that it followed procedures and that its flight crew is present with the ailing woman at all times. Hilt says it'll take some time to erase the memories of what happened on that plane. It, it was traumatic. It was really traumatic having that happen on the plane and dealing with that. Kelly Hayes, Global News, Kelowna. It's hard to believe, but everyone involved in this crash walked away from it. The compact car ended up crushed from both ends when it was rear-ended. Apparently, the driver choked on her coffee and blacked out, causing the crash. The man driving the SUV at the front said he didn't even realize he was on top of another car until he was able to get out of the vehicle to survey the damage and then couldn't believe what he saw. Well, the high school student at the center of that viral confrontation with a Native American elder is breaking his silence. He is insisting he never meant any disrespect, standing by his actions with one regret. This says the incident continues to highlight a growing political and racial divide. Nick Sandman, the Kentucky student at the center of that viral video, says he wasn't disrespectful when he appeared to confront Native American veteran Nathan Phillips. He sat down exclusively with today's Savannah Guthrie. Do you feel that you owe anybody an apology? Do you see your own fault in any way? Um, as far as standing there, I had every right to do so. I don't, I, my position is that I was not disrespectful to Mr. Phillips. I respect him. I'd like to talk to him. I mean, in hindsight, I wish we could have walked away and avoided the whole thing. The Covington Catholic High School students, some wearing Make America Great Again hats, were in D.C. last week for the March for Life. I was afraid. I felt threatened. Because when we were there and we were in front of them, they surrounded us. But after more videos emerged, defenders of the students say there was a rush to judgment. Do you think the students did anything wrong? No. A student whose parents didn't want his face shown told NBC affiliate WLWT his classmates were using their school chants, approved by chaperones, to drown out insults from another group of protesters, men identified as black Hebrew Israelites. But the chance continued when Phillips entered the picture, saying he was trying to intervene. There was three Native American people there. 
One of them was jumping up and down, so our guys start jumping up and down, clapping, we're dancing with him. School chants should be in school. And this wasn't school. Today, Native Americans protested in Covington, and even President Trump weighed in, calling the students symbols of fake news and how evil it can be. But Phillips says the students should accept responsibility for their actions. The students should go through some kind of uh, sensitivity training, cultural education of some kind. The new polar bear cub at a Berlin zoo is generating some more must-see video, this time with its first wobbly steps. The seven-week-old cub struggling to find its legs as it stumbles around its mother. The cub won't be going too far just yet. Both the cub and its mother will not be leaving the enclosure until spring. This birth, a happy new beginning after the zoo lost its most famous inhabitant, Canute, who died in 2011. In Health Matters tonight, a major overhaul for Canada's Food Guide. Canada's Food Guide reflects an important concept. Healthy eating is more than just the food that you eat. And it gives Canadians the tools they need to eat healthy. That's right. The new guide puts a big spotlight on healthier eating, doing away with the traditional four food groups and advice on a number of servings per day. Instead, the guide sets out more general rules, encouraging Canadians to eat less meat and more plant-based proteins. The updated food guide also encourages us to consume fewer processed foods and fewer foods high in sugar, salt and saturated fat. UBC researchers are warning pregnant women about the dangers of smoking pot. Now that pot is legal, researchers say it's important for public health officials to increase awareness about the risks associated with pregnancy. Those dangers seem obvious, but researchers found one-third of pregnant women don't believe pot can harm their fetus. Researchers looked at six U.S. studies and found some women think because doctors don't tell them about the risks of pot use during pregnancy, the risk is minimal. They're hoping that opening up the conversation on all levels will help. And a simple blood test that could help monitor the progression of Alzheimer's. New research published in the Journal of Nature Medicine says a protein linked to damaged and dying brain cells can be found in blood tests more than a decade before symptoms appear. Levels of this protein appear to rise rapidly over time in people with the disease. More research is needed before the blood test can be widely used. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Well, this year's Oscar nominations are out, and it looks like Netflix is one of the big winners. The black and white Spanish language film Roma is up for Best Picture, which is a first for the streaming service. With 10 nominations, the film is tied with the period drama The Favorite for the most Oscar nods. Also making history, Black Panther. That's the first superhero film to be nominated for Best Picture. One of the biggest surprises, Bradley Cooper was snubbed in the directing category, but Cooper and his co-star Lady Gaga did get acting nods for A Star is Born, which is up for eight nominations. The 91st Academy Awards will be handed out February 24th. Ah, very good. Lorraine's partner is sending her a very clear message. And the Vancouver filmmaking pair behind this animated film is hoping to take home some Oscar gold, too. Animal Behavior is up for Best Short Animation. This isn't the first time David Fine and Alison Snowden have been recognized. 
The husband and wife team did win in the same category back in 1994. Good luck to them this time around, too. Well, the search is on for Constable Warren Ning. What led to his disappearance coming up after the forecast? Warren Ning. Warren Ning. Warning. I get it. <laughs> we'll talk more about that in a moment. But right now, <laughs> is it a snowfall warning? What's going on in, in weather? Here's Christy. Yes, snowfall warning. So we're expecting 20 centimeters of snow for the Coquihalla by morning hours just to give you a glimpse of what it looks like right now. So near whiteout visibility in some areas. And look at Whistler, the Sea to Sky Highway. This is anywhere north of Squamish. Expect up to 25 centimeters by the morning hours. And as I mentioned earlier, we're also expecting that snowfall lower down. So if you're driving the Coquihalla, it's not just the mountain peaks that you'll see the heavy snow. Lower down anywhere from 5 to 15 centimeters. Some of the hardest hit areas will be Princeton up towards Merritt and then over towards Penticton as you can see here. Again, this is by the morning hours. Meanwhile, across the south coast, it is milder. We saw heavy rain across the region through the commuting hours. It will continue until likely 9 or 10 tonight and it will all push out. So continuing to be wet overnight, but not as heavy rain. And by morning hours, it will push out. We're still expecting a fair amount of cloud across the lower mainland, some drizzle, maybe a shower or two in the early morning, but then by the afternoon, breaks of sunshine. Here's how much rain, though, we could see in the next 12 hours. Western sections a little bit less. We're talking about 15 to 20 uh, millimeters, whereas areas further east could see up to 30 millimeters. Uh, so pooling water on the roads is certainly a concern. Uh, make sure you're slowing down, turning on your lights when you're driving overnight and in the early morning tomorrow. Vancouver Island, far less. It really is focused more so on the lower mainland for that uh, amounts. Now, over the next several days, we're going to see this ridge of high pressure continue. It's not until Thursday, January 31st, everyone, next Thursday, that we could see it break down. Now, it doesn't mean we'll see, we won't see some cloud cover and a slight chance of showers, but in terms of this big pattern of dry weather, we could see this for the next week. Dry conditions continue or uh, push into the northern part of uh, BC, whereas the south coast overnight or south Southern BC overnight, heavy snowfall through the overnight, easing tomorrow morning. South Coast heavy rain overnight, easing tomorrow morning, leaving us with a dry day. And we are going to see dry conditions right through the weekend. And as I mentioned, it looks like potentially until next Thursday. And I'll leave you with this shot. To me, it looks like someone waiting for the rain to pass. And that's exactly what we're doing. Thanks to Dennis for that and to Fino. Some breaks in the clouds out there. Mm. All right. Thanks, Christy. Kelowna police are turning to the public to help find one of their own. As we mentioned, Constable Warren Ning is a cleverly named cardboard cutout of an officer holding a speed gun. He went missing from his post at a local elementary school. He's one of two cutouts put in place to get drivers to slow down in school zones. Officers say they're disappointed that Constable Ning only lasted a couple of days on the job. And they are hoping he turns up. And all jokes aside, police say the cutout does slow drivers down. This initiative was created with the, the safety of our students in mind. And it is disappointing to find out that one of them has been taken. It didn't take long at all, let's be well, honest. Well, I'm not surprised. I could have expected that. It's, that somebody would steal it. Yes. We yeah. have those cutouts down here. I don't know. 
Someone stole one of ours problem. at the PE, too. Right. Which one? <laughs> it's gone missing. Was it you? I think it was me, actually. Yeah. I would steal. <laughs> I have no idea why somebody would want to adorn their home with a cutout of me. But if You're very you, popular. But if you did, I'm sorry for you. <laughs> That's right. Participation. Participation. Body break. Yeah, yeah. Reminiscing about body break. Yeah. Body break. Yeah. And but was it as good as Hinterland's Who's Who? Because for totally those who different. were around back then, we learned plenty about the woodchuck. Or was it the groundhog? I'm not sure. Snowy owl. How much wood? Snowy owl. The snowy owl. And those who like to hibernate in snowy climbs. Okay, we went somewhere <laughs> down a weird tangent. We did. We went down a rabbit hole, uh, which was also on Hinterland's <laughs> Who's Who. Uh, the arrival of Elias Pedersen is very much like when Pavel Bure showed up in Vancouver. We knew they were good as young players in their home countries, but we didn't know if they could be that good in the NHL. And they both showed us, Pavel and Elias, in game one, they weren't just ready to play in the biggest league there is, they were ready to bring fans out of their seats, but not just fans, their own teammates as well. So you see PD arrive at training camp and your first thoughts are? I've uh, heard a lot about him, like a lot of hype, so I was pretty excited. Um, I'm not one to judge, I look like I'm 12, but I thought he looked pretty fragile and thin, but... Uh, I guess that's common over in Europe, so I was pretty excited about his skill. Elias Pettersson is a skating example of never judge a book by its cover. His initial appearance may have suggested leaflet, but his body of work is more hockey encyclopedia. We may be only talking about 39 career NHL games, but nearly all of them have been memorable. Despite missing 11 games, he continues to lead the Canucks in goals and points. He was scoring early, got confidence early, and now he's taking off. And I think we're seeing just how, uh, how special he is. Any doubt in your mind who Rookie of the Year should be? No. <laughs> this is far from being a West Coast bias, but the NHL Rookie of the Year, hands down, is Elias Pettersson. Forget about the fact the nearest rookie is a distant 12 goals and 18 points back of Pettersson. Ask yourself what kind of season the Canucks would be having without the all-world rookie, who continues to impress night in and night out, often in ways we never even notice. And a quick shot, he scores! Pedersen has a goal and an assist, and the Canucks have a 2-0 lead. So on the power play, I thought he was kind of locked in the top upper corner, and two guys were approaching him. And I remember sitting on the bench, I was like, just get rid of it. There's going to be a turnover or breakaway, and um, next thing you know, he just he doesn't, he like kind of forgets about the puck and just kind of stared at the defenseman in the eyes, and he, he, the defenseman backed off, and it gave him five feet of room. And I remember I asked him, I was like, yeah, like... What did you do, man? Like, I was freaking out. Like, I thought they was goal against for sure. And he was like, well, I look at the puck, then the D-man's going to jump me. But if I stare at him in the eyes, he's going to respect me and give me space. And just alone that, I was like, holy smokes, man. Like, to have that in your mindset in a situation where two guys are coming on you to think that fast was just, uh, it left me speechless. You think that story is good? How about this one? For a kid who oozes confidence on the ice and is morphing into a superstar in front of our very own eyes, Elias never envisioned this stardom. In fact, far from it. To be honest, growing up, I didn't think I would play in NHL. So I was just practicing hard, always, always working, and and took step by step. And like now, I'm here and living my dream. So. All right, let's watch uh, an older great goal scorer, Alex Ovechkin. This has been an amazing game. Sharks and Caps, 12 goals in this game, and it's still not over. But three of the goals have gone to the great eight. That's one, 
This is two. One of the greatest goal scorers of all time. Especially playing in an era when goals are hard to come by. Another one-timer. 6-6 in overtime, Washington and San Jose. The Whitecaps have signed veteran midfielder John Erise from uh, the Spanish second division. He's 32, a defensive midfielder. He's a good passer. That's the scouting report on him. It was not the wow signing a lot of fans of the Whitecaps would like, but he should be useful for new head coach Mark DeSantos. Now, this is something he rarely does, score goals. He's more a prevent goals kind of guy, but he doesn't mind making some runs into the offensive zone and delivering passes, which, as we said before, is something he is good at. There are four new members of baseball's Hall of Fame. 75% of the vote is required to get into Cooperstown. The inductees include former Mariner superstar, there he is right there, D.H. Edgar Martinez, a man so good at being a D.H., the D.H. award is now named after him. Also getting in, late Blue Jays pitcher Roy Halladay and also pitcher Mike Mussina. The fourth member of the class of 2019 is the only player ever to go into the Hall of Fame with 100% of the votes. Reliever Mariano Rivera, everyone voted for him. He is the greatest closer of all time. 652 saves, 19 years, five world championships with the Yankees. His playoff ERA is a mind-bending .70. What's even more mind-bending is the fact that players like Babe Ruth, Willie Mays, Ted Williams, Joe DiMaggio, name any Hall of Famer. None were unanimous selections. Only Mariano Rivera is a unanimous selection. Here's your snow report for today. Lots of new snow across the region. Whistler Blackcomb picking up 8 centimeters. Grouse 7, Cypress 3, and Sasquatch 1. Revelstoke received 7 centimeters of fresh powder. Fernie, Manning Park, and Whitewater not picking up anything new, but they will in the next 24 hours. Big White received 6 centimeters. Silver Star 6 also. Sun Peaks 5. Kicking Horse not getting any new snow, but they will see a nice dump over the next 24 hours. Mount Washington one centimeter and Powder King six. Imagine a busker at our Skytrain station, Lake City Way. There's not as many people. Not as, as many people. <laughs> well, we were saying earlier, like you think now, a lot of people don't carry money. Yeah. So yeah. The buskers of the future are going to need one of those little yeah. handheld things to get it. someone's exactly. bank card exactly. or something. Yeah. Uh, we wanted to find out about buskers, and of course, TransLink employs, I think, 68, just to give part of the story away. So let's find out about the secret world of busking. Like most show business careers, busking on TransLink starts with an audition. We're looking for anything that enhances the customer experience. You know, this started in uh, Expo 86, and we've been going getting buskers ever since. There are 68 buskers on TransLink. They pay $75 a year for a license, but they do get to keep any money they make. Tell yourself up a quota. Go for your quota, and then the rest is gravy. And enjoy yourself, because people pay for when you're enjoying yourself. Don't try to impress anybody. It's been done to death. Well, it's this is probably the hardest area, hardest thing to do is to get on the street to play. It really is. You've got to try to appease everyone as much as you can. And uh, I think I found my little niche. 
they play for an audience that never sits down. So an experienced busker knows how to grab attention. I find the pieces that really grab people's attention are the things that are familiar to them here. So I'd be more likely to have success catching someone's eye with a video game theme or a theme music from Game of Thrones goes over very well. Really? What about Star Wars? And for a lot of buskers, it's more than just making extra money. My favorites are the youngsters, the real young ones, like the two-year-olds that come up and they drop a penny into my, into my, my case and oh, oh, you, you can't beat that. That's, that's, more, than, that, that's more than money. That's, that warms the heart big time. That's what keeps me healthy and mentally and physically and I haven't been sick in eight years since I've gone back to this. So if you want to stay healthy, learn how to play guitar and, and then, sing and play for people at the translate. Mm -hmm. oh, that's the key. Okay. The key. I like that story. Always Thanks, so nice. Thanks, Squire. Okay, uh, look at the uh, weather before we go. So heavy rain through the evening hours across the coast, but inland regions anywhere north of Squamish, east of Hope, heavy snowfall. It's not a good night for travel, that's for sure. Tomorrow afternoon will be far better and actually over the next several days. So just hang out because we're clear sailing after that. Oh, good. All right. Thanks, Christy. Thank you for watching. Have a good night, all.